Good morning. It's a good day, ain't it? My name is Dustin. If you don't know me, I'm on staff here at South Point. And we have been spending the past few weeks in a series we're calling Into the Unknown as we read through the book of Genesis, really looking at the life of a man named Abraham. And last week, Jamie did such an awesome job preaching through Genesis chapter 16. And if you haven't been here for this series, I'm just going to give you a quick refresher of everything we've seen in this series so far. We've been following the life of this man named Abram, who will go on today, actually, to be renamed Abraham. And Abram, if you don't know his story, Abram spent the first 75 years of his life worshiping other gods. In addition to that, Abraham and his wife Sarai have also been unable to conceive children, which has had a profound impact on their lives and brought this mark of shame on their lives. In addition to that, Abram lost his brother when he was younger, and so Abram has taken uh, his brother's son in a lot, and he's been taking care of him. The first 75 years of Abram's life have been messy. They've been full of brokenness and loss and disappointment. But then, after 75 years, this God that Abram doesn't even know, this God that Abram doesn't even know shows up and says, Abram, I want you to leave behind your old life, and I want you to follow me. And if you do, if you follow me, I'm going to bless you beyond anything you can imagine. I'm going to birth an entire nation of people from your bloodline. I'm going to give you countless offspring. And Abram, your life is going to have purpose. And we read about how Abram followed him. Well, then we skipped ahead some years, and Abram is still waiting on God to fulfill this promise of this nation and this offspring and children. And we read this dramatic story about how God made this everlasting covenant with Abram and how that covenant actually pointed ahead 2,000 years later to Jesus and the sacrifice that he would make on the cross that he would be sacrificed so that God could maintain his covenant with Abram and anyone who would follow him. And then last week, as Jamie preached, we read about Abram and Sarai, 10 years after God first called Abram, and they're still waiting on the child. We read about how Abram and Sarai basically took matters into their own hands, and instead of waiting on God to deliver his promise for them to have children, that instead Sarai used a woman named Hagar, one of the servants in their house, to conceive a child with Abram. And we talked about how much hurt and brokenness that decision caused. But it did bring about a son named Ishmael. Now today, we're picking up in Genesis chapter 17, and we're picking up 13 years after the passage we read last week. 13 years after Sarai and Abram took matters into their own hands to give birth to Ishmael. 13 years a long time. You know how much can happen in 13 years? My wife and I will actually be celebrating 13 years of marriage together in October. 13 years. And it's hard for me to even remember my life before her. Over the course of 13 years, we've changed and grown and experienced so much. And so in this passage we're going to read this morning, Abram is now 99 years old. And his wife Sarai is now 90 years old. And together they are raising Ishmael, who is now 13 years old. And so if you think your life is hard, you can rest on the fact that at least you aren't 99 and trying to raise a 13-year-old boy. And oh, by the way, God also hasn't spoken to them in 13 years, at least from what Scripture records. So I imagine at this point they're probably thinking, well, God probably abandoned us. 
for what we did with Hagar and doing things our own way. So we can forget about this great purpose and this nation and having all these offspring. We probably blew that up. We ruined that. So it's best that we just now try to make the best of our lives raising a 13-year-old boy in our 90s. And this is where we pick up as God shows up once again. Genesis chapter 17, starting at verse 1. As we read, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And what you need to know here about this word blameless is that it doesn't mean blameless as we might understand it, meaning perfect or without flaws or doesn't make mistakes. This isn't God simply telling Abram to be sinless because God knows that Abram will not be sinless. Only Jesus Christ would ever be fully sinless. Actually, this word blameless isn't speaking about sinlessness or some exquisite morality at all, but actually the word blameless here is speaking more to an understanding and reverence for God. It's speaking more closely about joining one's life with God. Not some lifelong mission to be good enough or work hard enough or do great things for God and make him proud. And it's also not about using God and exploring all the great things that he can do for you, but rather it's actually to invite God into your day-to-day life, into the boring things, into the mundane, into every corner of your life and live life with him. Author and pastor Sky Jathani says it this way, and I love this. He says, life with God is different because its goal is not to use God, its goal is God. He ceases to be a a device we employ or a commodity we consume. Instead, God himself becomes the focus of our desire. But before we can really desire God, we must have a clear understanding of who he is and what he is like. Isn't that interesting? That to truly know God won't simply just drive you to like want to be obedient to him. And also to know know God won't simply make you just want to go to him with all of your wildest wishes and dreams, but to know him will result in this innate desire to just want to join your life to him and live every piece of your life with him. And it's almost like God knows this because what's the first thing he says to Abram after 13 years of silence? He tells Abram, I am God Almighty. After 13 years of silence, he shows up, and the first thing he says to Abram is, I am God Almighty. The Hebrew for this is El Shaddai. El Shaddai. God says, I am El Shaddai. And if you take one thing away today, I want you to have this word El Shaddai stuck in your head as you leave. Because it's really important. This is the first time in the Bible that God refers to himself as El Shaddai, but it won't be the last. And the thing is, English really butchers this translation because we read it as, I am God Almighty. That's how English translates it. And if you read it that way, you might picture it like that scene in The Wizard of Oz where where Dorothy and the lion and Tin Man and Scarecrow meet the wizard for the first time. And he says, I am the great and powerful Oz, like this declaration of his power. And yes, God is powerful, but El Shaddai in its purest form, translates to the God who is more than enough. This is how God refers to himself, El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough. God shows up after 13 years, and the first thing he says to Abram 
is I'm the God who's more than enough. Live your life with me, Abram. And the passage goes on in verse 2. Live your life with me, Abram, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. And listen, we've read basically Abram's entire relationship with God up to this point. At first, Abram was drawn to God by the allure of a better life. God's going to give me a better life, and so I better follow him. And then we read that Abram was blown away by the might and power of God as he saw God pass by, and it's like, I better follow God because he's really powerful. But now Abram is starting to see God for who he really is. Not just some genie in a lamp, and not just some powerful tyrant, but the God who's more than enough. And it drops him to his face. And I just found myself wondering as I was preparing this week, like, when was the last time I recognized God as El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough, and allowed it to sink so deep in my heart that it dropped me to the floor? When was the last time that happened for you? Like, Abram is just leveled. He's just made this realization and revelation. He's just peeled back a layer of who God is, and it drops him, not even to his knees, to his face. It's this powerful, faith-driven moment we see from Abram. But what you have to remember is Abram's been following God for 24 years now. And remember a story. Abram, it's been years and years of struggling and questioning, but also trusting, but also doubting, but also sometimes following, but also sometimes doing things his own way. And I just want to encourage you this morning as we see firsthand from Abram that Faith doesn't happen overnight. You need to understand that faith doesn't happen overnight. And I know that we want this mountaintop conversion experience that turns us into an entirely new human being and this super Christian that says all the right things and does all the right things. And the thing is, giving your life to Jesus will make you a new creation. It will. But more than instantly changing all your desires and removing all temptation and giving you this unendless amount of faith and making you this perfect person, this new creation that's found in Jesus really means you see life through a new lens. You have insight to the truth now. You have clarity on what's good and what is good for you because you've seen Jesus and you see that he's all that is good. And with this new insight, you have daily opportunities to invite this God who is more than enough into your life. And it's not an overnight success story. It's a lifelong journey. It's one step at a time. That's why it says in Romans, it says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith doesn't come from saying a sinner's prayer. And faith doesn't come just from coming to church. And faith doesn't come just because your parents had faith. Faith comes from knowing God, getting to know God, familiarizing yourself with him through his word, and then making the daily decision to trust him, allowing him opportunities to prove to you that he's the God who is more than enough, and he will prove it to you. So if you're a veteran, lifelong Christian in here today, and you are struggling with your faith right now, one, I want you to give yourself some grace, because life is hard, and you're not a perfect person. But two, I want you to start immersing yourself in Jesus again. I want you to get back into the word of God. I want you to start spending time around other people who believe. I want you to get back into worship music. Give God opportunities to feed your soul. So 
so 24 years passes before Abram falls on his face before God, and then God speaks to him. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. And so if you haven't read any of this series with us, God is really doubling down on the promises he's already made to Abram. Same promises he made 24 years ago. And he says, by the way, yeah, that's still happening. I know it's been 24 years of waiting, but that's still happening. And then God changes his name from Abram to Abraham. And there's significance in this. If you weren't aware, the meaning of the name Abram is exalted father. The meaning of Abram's name is exalted father, and his wife couldn't have children which meant that for the first 86 years of Abram's life, his name was a continual slap in the face. It was like this running joke. And everyone knew the meaning of names back then, and so for the first 86 years of his life, he'd almost certainly meet someone, hey, how are you? I'm Abram. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Exalted father. That's great. How many kids do you have? Oh, um, well, my wife and I have actually had trouble conceiving, and it's like, awkward. That'd be like if my name meant thick, flowing, luxurious hair. You'd be like, you know you can legally change that, right? You see, Abram's earthly father named him, but he didn't know the pain that Abram's future would hold. But you see, then God renames him to Abraham, which means a multitude a father of many, a father of multitudes. And the reason God did that is because Abraham's heavenly father knows exactly what Abraham's future holds because he's the one who holds Abraham's future. And so God's covenant with Abraham is going to come true. He's going to create the nation of Israel through Abraham. He's going to live, give them the land of Canaan to create this nation. God's going to be the shield and strength and joy of his people and then God gets into the specifics about what it looks like to accept this gift that he's offering. In verse 9, it continues, it says, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people he has broken my covenant. Now I know that we just broke the record for the number of times you can say circumcised and foreskin 
in one passage. I know that. I know it's an awkward thing to talk about. But this is what I want us to understand today as we read through this, and, and something you may not have noticed as you've read through the Bible, if you've read through the Bible. The thing is, and what we have to understand, is that every covenant that God makes with a person has some kind of outward expression of that covenant. If you've read the story of Noah, after the flood happens, God sends a rainbow. It's an outward expression of the promise that he makes. For Moses, after God delivered the Israelites from Egypt, it was introducing the Sabbath. For, for us today, when we make a decision to accept Jesus as our Savior and King, the outward expression is something we call baptism. There's always some kind of outward expression for what has happened inside the heart. And we could talk at length about why God chose circumcision as the sign for Abraham and his people, that it was something they would have been familiar with, and it was historical and contextual and applicable across generations. But really, when it comes down to it, the significance is that it was a sacrifice that involved flesh. And this is a consistency we will see in the Bible as it goes on. A sacrifice that involves flesh. For the Israelites, they made this covenant with God, with their flesh, to declare their allegiance for God. Years later, after Israel is established, we're going to see that they sacrifice the flesh of animals in order to be forgiven whenever they mess up. This was the norm. And, and then Jesus comes along. And then Jesus comes and he dies and is resurrected and salvation and forgiveness all at once becomes available through the sacrifice of his flesh, the laying down of his life. And at the end of verse 13, when God says, so shall my covenant in your flesh be an everlasting covenant, that is a huge foreshadowing to the fact that God's everlasting covenant would also be in the flesh of his son. And when it says that anyone who doesn't accept this gift, anyone who doesn't uh, get circumcised in Abraham's day will be cut off from his people, so the same stands for us today that anyone who does not align themselves and accept the gift of the sacrifice of Jesus' flesh will likewise be cut off from the kingdom of God. You see, the old covenant required all men to sacrifice their flesh, but the new covenant required God take on flesh and be sacrificed for everyone. But here's the important thing for us to be aware of as non-Jewish, new covenant Christians living in the 21st century. You see, back then, for Abraham, it was the mark of circumcision that identified you as a believer, but for us today... Your life reveals where your faith is. Your life is the sign of where your faith is. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament really goes in hard on this. 2,000 years after Abraham, all these arguments are going on about should circumcision still be a requirement after Jesus? Like was Jesus' sacrifice enough or did you have to do that and be circumcised too? And they're arguing amongst themselves. And Paul puts it this way. In Romans 2, he says, For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. And when Paul is saying you're not a true Jew, he's writing to the Jewish people in Rome and he's saying it's no longer enough that your mom and dad were believers and it's no longer enough that some physical ceremony happened when you were eight days old. He says, no, a true Jew, a real believer, is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision 
is not merely obeying the letter of the law. It's not just a medical procedure or following rules or singing worship songs or going through the motions. Paul says, rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. And so make sure we catch this. In Abraham's day, people knew you were a believer because you'd been circumcised. Or if you were a woman, because you lived in a household where the men were circumcised. But for us today... You can identify a believer by what their life looks like, by the things they talk about, the things they post about, the things they spend money on, the things they watch, the things they listen to, the, thing, the way that they treat people. In biblical terms, it's something we call the fruit of the Spirit. And we call it the fruit of the Spirit because as Christians, we believe that when you make the decision to put your faith in Jesus, that God puts His Spirit inside of you. And the fruit of that, the consequence of the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of you produces these visible, noticeable changes in you. And so if you want proof of if someone's following God, is someone a believer, does someone have the Holy Spirit of God living with them in Galatians, it says you'll know that someone's a believer because you'll see these things in their life. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It says against such things there is no law. I mean, I wish we had enough time to break all these down one by one, but at the end of the day, Paul is saying that these things are the mark of a believer. This is how people will know you're a believer because they'll see these qualities in your life. It's no longer a mark on your flesh from when you were a baby that qualifies you. It's that you've put your faith in Jesus and the Spirit of God's now dwelling inside of you. And so yeah, I know circumcision feels like a big commitment for God to put on Abraham, but just be aware that what we are called to and invited to now is far more transformative and significant and long-lasting. It's something the Bible calls a circumcision of the heart, a permanent and everlasting change inside of you that serves as a reminder to you, but also as a declaration to the world around you that you are living your life with God. And then God... After giving the circumcision instruction to Abraham, he continues, says, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? I love this because Abraham falls on his face again. It's just funny, right? Like he was on his face, and then he stands up, and then like five minutes later, he's back down on his face, but for an entirely different reason. He's laughing this time. And for clarity, just so you know, this is not a laugh of like cynicism and doubt. This is not a laugh of like, oh, yeah, right, God. Ha ha. This is not Abraham saying, go ahead, bring out the cameras. Is this MTV's punk starting? This is not God saying, ha ha, real funny. I'm 99, my wife's 90. Impossible. Go ahead, get your jabs in. Make fun of the old guy, God. It's like, have you ever like received news so amazing that you just like laughed? Because you didn't know what else to do. It was just like, it was so amazing. The news was so good that you couldn't do anything but just laugh. 
If I have any fans of the TV series The Office, there's this moment after one of the main characters, his name is Jim, and he finds out coincidentally that he also is going to become a father, and he makes this face. And this face is the face I imagine Abraham making when God told him what was about to happen. He's like, God, this is incredible. This is impossible. God, this is going to be amazing. And I imagine that Abraham was probably so happy for his wife, Sarah, that she was going to be a part of this. She was going to get to experience this for herself. And as we read Abraham's story, man, as someone who has endured the heartbreak and struggles he has endured for 99 years of his life, this has got to be such a beautiful moment for him. I picture his face like this when God tells him. And then Abraham thinks of his other son, 13-year-old Ishmael. And it says, and Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. In other words, God, Ishmael is 13. He's considered an adult by our culture. This is great news that you're telling me, but, but I have a son, and my firstborn son can be the heir of this nation. And it says, God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. God says, listen, Abraham, I know you messed up. I know you guys made a mistake. You, you took matters into your own hands. You had a baby by your servant. I know it hurt a lot of people. It caused all this division. I know all that. But regardless, Abraham, I have a promise I made to you. I have to keep that promise with you. And that means that this child has to come from your wife. She's a part of this. And then God goes on and says, As for Ishmael, I, I heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. So Ishmael is not forgot about. God says, He shall father 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. And God does. But I will establish my covenant, the original promise, with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So 24 years since God makes his original promise to Abraham and all this heartache and struggle and wrestling and then now finally after all this time there's a date on the calendar for the arrival of Sarah and Abraham's son and to me God exhibits this beautiful truth through Abraham in this moment that I think we need to grab a hold of at least I know I need to grab a hold of and the truth is you cannot unearn a promise from God you cannot unearn a promise from God. This is so important for us to understand as creatures that try as we might will continue to fumble and make mistakes as we go through this life trying to walk with Jesus. I'm telling you this is going to be so important for you to understand when you mess something up really bad and you find yourself in that mindset that says man I deserve everything that's coming to me. I should be alone. I deserve to be depressed and have anxiety, and I should be ashamed. And God, like, I don't even want you to look at me because I'm such a mess right now. Please don't look at me, God. But look at Abraham's story and how that, like, Abraham got a promise from God in person. In person. Like, he hears the audible voice of God telling him what's going to happen. He sees God physically pass by. God makes him a promise that he's going to have this family and be the father of his nation. Like, Abraham has receipts. He can look back. God was there and told him. And even after having that firm of a promise, like we read last week, Abraham and his wife, they, 
They take matters into their own hands, and they have Abram have this baby with one of the servants in their house, and all of this brokenness happens. And the reason that happens is because for them it's like, what if God doesn't show up? What if God doesn't deliver on his promise? What if God isn't as good as he says he is? And I'm just going to suggest to you guys this morning that these two questions, what if God doesn't show up? And what if God isn't as good as he says he is? are the culprits of every single time you sin. You get drunk to find a moment of peace because you don't believe that God can actually bring you peace. You commit sexual sin because you don't believe that God can actually fulfill your life. You hold grudges and stay angry at people because you don't trust that God is going to judge appropriately. You feel anxious and envious of the lives of others because you don't trust that God's going to bless you enough. Nearly every single time you sin, for being honest, comes down to, man, I don't know if God's going to satisfy me, so I better satisfy myself just in case. Or I don't know if God's going to show up in this moment, so I better take action just in case. And that's exactly what Abraham and Sarah did in Genesis chapter 16. They blew it up. They had the promise of God right in front of them. They had the guarantee, and nevertheless, they took matters into their own hands. They alienated their servant. They alienated each other. They betrayed God. And yet, and yet, God says, promise still stands, Abraham. Doesn't matter how much you've messed up. Doesn't matter how much you've blown it. Doesn't matter how weak your faith has been. Because you are mine and because you've chosen to follow me, I am never going away from you. The promise still stands. And Romans 11 says it this way. It says, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Read it one more time. But if it is by grace, if it's by grace that you've been saved, if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Jesus died for you because you couldn't save yourself. That's what grace is. Giving something to someone that they absolutely do not deserve. And the thing is, Jesus didn't even just give you salvation. He paid for it himself. He paid for it with his blood. He paid for it with his life. Now that's grace on top of grace. And so I just want you to hear what I'm saying right now very clearly. You did not have the power to save yourself. And you surely don't have the power to unsave yourself. You will never be bad enough to outweigh God's goodness. You're not that strong. You will never run to a dark enough place where his light can't reach you. The promise of the cross still stands for those who put their faith in Jesus. And man, so please, if you are in a place right now where sin or doubt are mutilating your spiritual life, I am pleading with you, please do not hide from God. You don't have to hide from him. You don't have to hang your head in shame. Instead, I just challenge you, run back into the Father's open arms because the promise still stands. Even when you're messed up, even when you're broken, the promise still stands. You say the promise still stands? Say that. The promise still stands. Carry that with you out of this place, man, because you are going to mess up. You are going to mess things up, you are going to be broken, and you need to know that God is there no matter how far you fall. Back to Abraham's story. Yeah, 
Abraham, you and Sarah messed up big. <laughs> you, you really hurt some people. Doesn't matter. I'm true to my word. The promise still stands and a baby is on the way. Picks up in verse 22. It says, when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin that very day. Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised if it wasn't clear the first 30 times they said it. And all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. Now, good news today is that you do not have to be circumcised today. We're not holding open circumcisions in the gym after service. But what you need to understand in this, as we read this, is there was a response. Abraham had to respond. He and his family had to accept this covenant from God by a sacrifice in their own flesh. And for us today, we have to respond by putting our faith in the sacrifice of the flesh of Jesus Christ on the cross. And when you do that, when you do that, you will be transformed from the inside out. You'll be given this new lens to look through, you'll see what's really good. And you'll begin this lifelong journey of experiencing God's grace. And then in your life, you will get to exhibit love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Doesn't that sound amazing? And then on top of all that, even in your darkest and most broken moments, you can have confidence and El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough, that he's still with you because his promise still stands. Let's pray. God, you are good. You are the God who is more than enough. And you've shown it to me time and time again. You've shown up every single season of my life. You have never let me down. And God, in the midst of all that, I have to confess that I still struggle and I still wrestle and I still doubt and I still sin because I, in my heart, wonder sometimes and I stress and are you good enough? Are you going to show up? And it leads me to make these decisions that just end up hurting myself, God. And through all of that, your promise still stands to me. Through all of that, you're still faithful to me. And I can't even wrap my mind around that, God. But all I know is that the result of that, the consequence of that, is I just want to live life with you, Lord, because you're so good. God, I pray that right now your Holy Spirit's resting on this room and just clarifying things for people where they're at in their life. If they're here and they're broken or they're struggling or they're ensnared in some kind of sin or doubt or whatever it is, God, I pray that they walk out of this place understanding that your promise still stands for them and you're still more than enough for them. And the move is not to get our life together. It's not to try to get out one sin at a time. Our move is to immerse ourselves in you and just fall on our face in front of you. El Shaddai, so amazing to me, God. Use the heart of gratitude that you place in this community to go out and love the community around us. Continue to share this good news of what Jesus has done. We know that you'll transform not only our neighborhoods and our communities, the state, 
but our nation and this world. You're a God who restores and who mourns and enough. We love you. We do these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dustin.